You're listening to Mr. Radio, and I'm your host, Marshall. Are you concerned about your pet? Listen to Ask Our Vet, a live call-in program hosted by Dr. Jacqueline Perkins and Dr. Paul Schubert Thursday afternoons at 2 p.m. on WVNJ 1160, The Voice. Dr. Perkins and Dr. Schubert are from the Twin Oaks Veterinary Hospital, 328 Teaneck Road, Teaneck, New Jersey. For information or an appointment, call 201-530-5800. And remember to listen to Ask Our Vet Thursday afternoon at 2 on WVNJ 1160, The Voice. No, Mr. Radio is not trying to monetize the show with commercials. We're just trying to introduce you to today's guest who has dedicated his career to broadcasting the consumer electronics industry, and the medical information management field. He has volunteered with the Literacy Volunteers, a New Jersey organization that helps people to read and write and speak English, and for which he was voted Volunteer of the Year, as well as recognized by the New Jersey State Senate and General Assembly. In addition to receiving multiple public speaking awards, he has served as Vice President of the Education Committee for Toastmasters International. His leisure time is now learning and practicing piano and immersing himself into an encore of voiceover and book narration, as well as being a full-time butler to his cat, Knight. It is my honor and pleasure to introduce my guest, Donald Trapp. Welcome to the show, Donald. Well, thank you, Marshall. It's a pleasure to be here on Mr. Radio. Right out of the bat, full disclosure... I first met Donald 43 years ago and worked with him for almost 30 years. And I had to use a calculator to figure out all of those statistics. At any rate, as a member of Toastmasters International, you've received multiple public speaking awards and you've served as the vice president of their education committee. For, for listeners who may not be familiar with Toastmasters International, can you explain what they do? Toastmasters is a group of people that get together. There are a lot of local chapters in different towns and counties. And what they do is they help you become a better public speaker and a better communicator, probably overall. As my responsibility in the education committee it was to find people uh, that could address our meetings, and they would be really good communicators. So we learned from them, and we also learned about the subject matter that they talked about. One of the people that I do remember, and how I came up upon finding this person, was I was at a friend's house, and she had a book, and the title was The Risk of Sorrow, and the author's name was Valerie Foster. And Valerie had interviewed a Holocaust survivor. And in that book, there was a whole segment on how she had joined Toastmasters, and the whole story behind that was it was so that she could tell her story. And it was very powerful when I read that in her book. And I'm thinking if more people were involved with, you know, communicating and speaking 
to let people know what was going on in their world or what had happened to them, it would probably create a better place for all of us. And so uh, the, the, the name of the group is Toastmasters International, so I, I would assume that wherever you live in the world, you could probably join a group. Is that, is that correct? Oh, absolutely. There, there are chapters all over the world. Uh, I'm a little rusty on how it began, but I think it had to do with people getting together, and it sounds kind of trite, but creating like toasts, you know, like toasting one another. And I believe it evolved from that. I could be a little bit wrong on on those details, but it's been a long time since I was a member. So what would a typical meeting entail? You attend a meeting in an assembly hall, in a restaurant? How does that work? The chapter that I was a member of, they met in Ramsey, New Jersey. And I'm trying to think of the the name of it. It wasn't Ramsey Toastmasters. It was something else like Park Ridge Toastmasters, something like that, because originally that was where I guess the chapter began, and then uh, the membership, a lot of the people ended up moving to Ramsey or that area, so they just kept the name. But we had members from Ramsey. We had members from uh, Allendale and other communities in Bergen County. And the meeting would consist of, you know, the regular, you know, corp, you know, not corporate, but like when you start a meeting, you know, a call to order and all that. And then there were different things that would occur in every meeting. And each chapter has a different way of conducting the meeting because I was a member of a chapter where I'm living now. And the way their meetings ran were very different than what I was used to when I was a a member up in Ramsey. Down here, it was a little bit looser. And when I say down here, I live in Tennessee now. The structure was a lot looser than it was in Ramsey, where it was very structured. Did members give impromptu toasts, or did they know what they were going to be toasting before they attended the meeting? Well, they, toasting is probably something in the past, but what you would be given would be a subject matter to, to speak on. And then there are manuals that you can follow in order to achieve different levels of expertise in becoming a Toastmaster. So, you know, I, I achieve different levels, but you would have different subject matters that you had to speak on. There were portions of the meeting where somebody would, you know, maybe write a subject or, or a word on a piece of paper, and you would draw that piece of paper, and you would have to get up and speak about whatever was on that piece of paper for, like, you know, a minute or five minutes, depending on what the directions were at, at the beginning of that segment of the meeting. What was the most challenging topic you ever had? That was another thing. We, we tried to eliminate like ums and ahs and things like that. (laughs) The most challenging thing probably would be something that I was not really familiar with. uh, And I had to kind of just kind of fluff my way through it, I guess. 
<laughs> Offhand, I, I don't remember exactly what the subject was. There were a few that were were difficult, and if you had, if you did pick a subject that you really couldn't come up with anything, you could throw it bowl and pick another one. So you know, you weren't they were, didn't hang you out to dry, so to speak. You know. And w- what kind of an audience did you typically have? Hundreds of people, twenty people. Five well, probably at the national or international level, there would be that that many people. But I think our group, it would fluctuate maybe between, you know, at a meeting. I think it was like every Friday night or every other Friday night. Uh, and, and each um, community or each Toastmasters, I mean, there, there are Toastmaster groups that are in corporations like United Parcel Service or IBM, those groups are only open to the people that work there. So they probably have more people attending those meetings. But we had maybe, I would say, 15 to 20 people at a meeting. Now, I I read sometime way back that uh, speaking in public caused more fear in people than snakes. Oh, absolutely. It's up there. Uh, <laughs> it's pretty high on the list. Like, people would rather, I think there was one where people would rather die than speak in public, which to me is like, wow. <laughs> I think it's, it is scary. They have ways of encouraging you to, and there were people in, in the club that were terrified. However, over time, you know, there's support. It's like any group, you know, there's a support mechanism there where they go over what you did great and what needs improvement. I think that's a very good way to encourage people to uh, embrace public speaking in public in general. You said that there were people who were terrified. What, what do you think made them join Toastmasters if they were terrified to begin with? They may have had to uh, speak to groups in whatever line of work they were in. Some of them were uh, maybe college-level students that needed to you know, whatever their career choice was, they realized that at some point they were going to have to either interview or speak to a lot of people. And I I gave them a lot of credit for for seeking the group out. In your bio, you list that you were also a consultant for retail store startups and supermarket and seasonal department store resets. What was involved in that line of work, especially uh, department store resets. I, I've never heard that term. Department store resets would be anytime a store would be changing over from, let's say, holiday, you know, like whether it's Thanksgiving, Halloween, Christmas, or whatever, and putting product out, that, you know, in a display that is more conducive to sales at that particular time of year. So you would be called in as a consultant? You know, my, the bulk of my career was, was in uh, consumer electronics and, and broadcasting. So it could have been 
when I was in the consumer electronics field as a product specialist and later in corporate communications was communicating to the retailer uh, as to what would be the best setup or, you know, what would be the product steps. You know, you wanted to step people through a product line, not to get into the weeds here, but, you know, to get people to look at the low end, but also consider the step up to the next product and the product line. Let's move on to what you're currently interested in, which uh, is uh, voiceover and book narration projects. The world has changed a lot since I was involved with it a while ago. You know, of course, everything now is digital. And there are, you know, there's no more making cassette tapes, which I don't even know if any exist anymore. And there's no more burning a CD or sending them out. Now it's basically all done from the comfort of your home or your home studio, sitting in front of the laptop and uh, contacting people over the internet. And there's a number of apps that are specifically geared for doing uh, voiceovers and for doing book narration. What's involved in getting those gigs? What's involved in getting... the voiceover or book reading narration gigs? Well, for book narration, it's a division of uh, Amazon. It's called ACX. And there are a number of authors that are looking for people to narrate their books. And of course, you have to audition, and also Amazon has uh, some stringent requirements as to what the file has to sound like. There can't be a lot of noise and it has to be edited and ready to go. How competitive is that Amazon site? With artificial intelligence coming, uh, coming around, nothing will ever replace the human voice. So I think people can take comfort in that. Uh, artificial intelligence, there are books that are done that way. Uh, however, they don't have the nuance and some of the, the meaning, meaning and clarity is lost uh, with AI. You know, the, it's hard for AI to find the warmth and the empathy and things like that that come across when you're speaking with a, a person. It takes me months, if not years, to read one book. How much time do you spend on reading a book for audio? There are people that they do this full time and they'll read like maybe three books a week. However, reading out loud is very different than reading to yourself. And reading out loud takes more time. And it would be take more time to, to edit it because you don't want to edit it you don't want to eliminate every breath, but you also don't want it to sound like, you know, like that type of thing. You want it to be smooth. So you could you could read a book, you know, probably 
you could probably do a book a day if you were that ambitious. Uh, I think practically reading out loud, you could probably do it for maybe starting out possibly an hour a day because there's a lot of energy involved and reading out loud, you know, we talk and we kind of know what we're going to say, but when you're reading a book, especially if there's characters involved or if there is, you know, a long sentence or big words. So basically you're going to do a pre-read. So anything that you're doing involves book narration, you're probably going to read that book probably two or three times before you even press record. Now you mentioned that uh, people are now doing things at home on their own equipment, but you're in Clarksville, which isn't too far from Nashville, where I believe they have a lot of uh, recording studios. Do you do you use any of those recording studios, or do you work on your own systems? I have not uh, used studios in Nashville or even here in Clarksville. You can do pretty much everything from a laptop nowadays. There are a number of audio editing programs that are available. Some are for free and some are, you know, there's a fee. Depending on the equipment that you get, microphones, you know, most, most everyone has a laptop at this point or some sort of computer. So the only additional devices or things that you would need would be a good microphone, like I mentioned, some sound deadening material, and just... Uh, Learning as you go, you know, like tweaking, tweaking things along the way <laughs> to get it to get it even better than it was before. And for narrating a book, you could take a flat fee, or you could go on the royalty basis. If you think, you know, if you happen to land a regular, a popular author, that might be a better way to go, where you get a royalty or a subject matter that people are interested in, you know, that might be a way to go to have a stream of income. Now, you mentioned the Amazon site. You can audition on the Amazon site. Do people require you to be in a union or are these? No, no, this is, um, I mean, if you're going to do anything for SAG-AFTRA, of course, you know, that you have to have me in a union, but if you're doing stuff for the smaller apps or even a book narration, no, to the best of my knowledge, there's no union involvement at all. You told me earlier that you grew up on the East Coast and then you traveled to the West Coast and that was a life changing event for you? How, how so? <laughs> uh, uh, when I was working in consumer electronics, uh, I, I traveled uh, for business a lot. And there was an episode where I went to work early one morning and I lived locally to where the corporation was. And apparently my one of my co-workers didn't finish a project for his division and we were you know both you know it was the same boss basically so he um, he had to stay behind 
and not go to the West Coast to do whatever he was supposed to do. So I get called into my boss's office, and he goes, uh, you live local, right? And I go, yeah. He goes, you're going to California. I go, oh, so go home and pack. You're going to be there for, uh, I forget, a few days or whatever. This is pre-9-11. You could never, ever, ever do this. And it was probably a little crazy on my part to actually agree to it. So I traveled as my coworker, flying out of Newark Airport to, I think, San Francisco, and back as him. <laughs> you would never get away with doing that today. There's I, just no no way. I know my wife was traveling on an air flight, and she didn't have a ticket, so her roommate gave her her ticket, and she traveled as someone else. And I agree, you could never do that again. So it was a little weird because, you know, you get to the, the airport and they go, oh, hello, Mr. So-and-so. And I'm thinking, it's eh, not my name. And then I think, oh, yeah, I, I have to be cool about this. <laughs> but, yeah, it's, uh, it's amazing how things evolved. And uh, you, you would never want to do that ever again. Your interest in broadcasting, did anyone in your family encourage you to, to pursue broadcasting? I think when I was a youngster, uh, my mom took us to the city, and I think we might have gone to Radio City Music Hall, and back then they did tours of NBC, and my oldest brother had a reel-to-reel -reel recorder, so I was always fascinated with that. You know, once we did the tour of NBC, I was with my mom and I think a couple of my other brothers. I was hooked from that moment on. And that, that was something that I really wanted to pursue. It was good. I mean, I, you know, not every, not every experience I had in broadcasting was, was a positive one, but I stayed, stayed with it as, as long as I, I have. What was the first radio show that you heard and what kind of radio did you listen to it on well growing up there was WOR which was on in the morning that my mom and my dad listened to and I guess that would be rambling with gambling it was John gambling and for myself I think I received a transistor radio when I was 10 or 11 years old and it had an earphone. So I plugged that in and I would be listening to either WABC AM or WMCA AM. I spoke with uh, a guest a couple of years ago who claims that radios aren't listened to anymore. Yeah, it's possible. I still do occasionally, but uh, I probably listen through a, a device, an Alexa device or of some sort. I have to be careful because if I speak her name, she's liable to wake up. <laughs> <clears throat> I mentioned earlier in the intro that I worked with you for several years, and I know that during that time you were involved in recording and interviewing several prominent people, including, I believe, Rudy Giuliani when he was the mayor of New York. Am I correct in that? And if so, what was that experience like? When I was in the consumer electronics uh, industry, 
we had, uh, you know, I'll mention the JBC Jazz Festival was in New York. There was, we were approached, JBC was approached to sponsor the holiday Christmas party. And they weren't even looking for a lot of money or anything like that. They, they just wanted us to, I, I don't know, help with the catering or whatever it was. And it was a nominal thing. So I went to my boss and I said, you know, um, they do a lot for us. And they're looking for a sponsorship. And otherwise these, you know, these, city workers would not have a holiday party. And now I can hear the violins playing. But my boss says, yeah, okay. We'll pay for the whole thing. That was great. So they invited, not me personally, but they invited members of JVC to also attend this holiday party, which was in a a building downtown. It could have been in City Hall from, from what I remember. And none of them were available because it was close to the holiday. Some were, you know, getting ready to travel and some just couldn't do it because it was at night or whatever. So I said, well, somebody has to go. We can't, we can't just, you know, not represent ourselves there, you know, because, well, you go. And it was interesting because (laughs) back then, you know, Rudy was a lot more popular than he is now. When he found out that I was there, it was like, because they had a line where everybody could stand in line and you had your picture taken with the mayor. And when he found out that I was there, I was moved up to be first in line to have my picture taken with him. <laughs> so it's just basically he was very appreciative for, for what we had done, what our corporation had done for, for the employees of the city. Did you keep the picture? I have it. I'd love to yeah. see that picture. Oh, absolutely. I, I also have one with me and uh, Mayor Bloomberg, because uh, every year the city of New York would have a reception for the start of the JVC Jazz Festival in New York City, and that would be held at Gracie Mansion. It would be held out on the lawn in Gracie Mansion, and there would be entertainers and people giving short speeches about uh, how important uh, music is and jazz in general in the city. So that was, um, that was kind of fun. That was a interesting part of my work life. Donald, I have literally 50 more questions to ask you, but we have run out of time. However, really? how, no. however, Apparently, one way to increase audience engagement in a podcast series is to use hashtags or, or other tools to attract listeners. So in an effort to achieve this, I picked a clip from Requiem for a Heavyweight that you starred in. <laughs> you starred in wow. along with Dave Capo and Jack Durr. And this was in the early 1980s when I had the pleasure of working with you on a college teleplay of Requiem for a Heavyweight, which, if uh, people aren't familiar with it, uh, was written by Rod Serling and produced for Playhouse 90 in 1956. And in this scene, Jack Durr, who played the boxing manager known as Mache, 
reveals to your character, Army, how he plans to turn the boxer Harlan Mountain McClintock into a wrestler. So I, I just want to play that. It's, it's just uh, about a minute or so. Okay. Want to go another hand, Mish? Don't do me any favors. Fight on TV. You want to watch it? You don't get enough of that stuff, huh? Something to do. What am I going to do, Army? Ask them for another week. They want their money now. Hello. Yeah. When he gets back in, tell him I want to talk to him. No, I want Pirelli. Thanks. Pirelli's a wrestling promoter. So that's a big secret? What do you want with a wrestling promoter? Well, let the kid wrestle a few. Mountain? Sure. They pay good money for that stuff. I'll work up a routine for him. Something like Gorgeous George or the Mad Baron. He could wear a coonskin cap. He'd be uh, Mountain McClintock, the Mountaineer. So what's wrong with that? It's money, huh? Yeah, Mace, but where's that money coming from? What difference does it make? Mountain don't like getting laughed at, Mace. He's sensitive all of a sudden, huh? Since when does a guy like that go getting sensitive? Since we've known him. Yeah, maybe I don't have time to hold him on my lap anymore. Mace, you stink. Sure. For 14 years, I nursed along a pug instead of watching out for my own old age. You want to know who owes who? You check the records. Mountain owes me. And what do I ask of him? Put on a costume. Make a few people laugh. That's going to kill him? Mish, Mountain's only got his pride left. Why can't you leave it at that? Let him remember when he was number five. He was somebody then. Sure. You take it away from him now, it's going to kill him. Let's go stick it up for him. Get holy about it. And you can starve to death, wise guy. Just as a matter of reference, in the original television production, Jack Palance played Harlan Mountain McClintock, Keenan Wynn played Mache, and your role as Army was played by Ed Wynn. Was this your acting debut? Uh, I think so. <laughs> um, yeah, I had kind of forgotten about it or... I mean, I remember doing it, but uh, I remember there was a lot of work that went into that, Marshall. You you kind of, like, really uh, had a lot to do there, and it was like being uh, in all places at once. Well, it was a lot of fun, and unfortunately, I'm going to have to say goodbye, but before I do, uh, I want to play your outro for my show, which you did at a New York radio station. You want to explain where you, where you did this? Well, when I, when I left uh, working at Bergen Community College, I went to work for a station out in Sussex County, WSUS FM 102.3, and while I was there, I eventually developed a signature line that I would outro my programs with, which I have since heard uh, somebody else in New York borrowing it. <laughs> uh, he changed it a little bit, but it's pretty much the same thing that, that I used to say. Uh, and, you know, that's how I used to close the program. I mean, my, my inspiration in radio goes back to listening to Dan Ingram, who was my idol. As a matter of fact, I got to meet him indirectly and didn't even realize it. 
and uh, wrote him a note, and he answered my questions, typewritten, not not in hand handwritten at all. But he was uh, he was my influence, uh, a big influence in me for for radio. Once again, Donald, I'm happy that you were able to take the time to speak with me, and I hope to hear from you again real soon. And again, let's end the show with your trademark outro. Donald Trapp, remember, give life your best, be good to somebody on 102.3 WSUS. You've been listening to Mr. Radio, and I'm your host, Marshall. This program was written and produced by Marshall. Our theme music was played by Ululation. Mr. Radio is available wherever you get your podcasts, including iTunes and Spotify. Subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. And don't forget to tune in next week for another episode of Mr. Radio. Yeah.